0: Let me ask you this question first of all. What is the worst thing that you've ever done? I I could give you quite a long list. (laughs) Um, Do you have that point at times where you think to yourself... Is God ever going to be able to use me again for his purposes? Well, we're going to be talking about somebody in a moment. And he is going to give you hope in terms of possibilities of change. No matter how hard your heart's been, there's new faith. You can see that actually it's not that God writes you off. We have a God who says, I forgive you and I want to restore you and I want to bring you back into my purposes, back into, actually, I called you for purpose. It wasn't just I called you for eternal life. I've I've called you for purpose here and now. and, And I want you've got the rest of your life to live. I don't want you just to be sitting there chewing over the terrible things that you did. I want you to be living with a new purpose and a new vision in your life. Yeah? We're focusing this current series, which is called Meet the Family. We are looking, and we started off last week, looking at Tamar, who connects with this story as well, at some of those unusual people that actually are written there by Matthew right at the beginning of his gospel about the kind of royal line of actually the descendants of Christ. And we're looking at that. And at first glance, you open it up and you you see this kind of honours list, as it were, and you have a glance over it. And some of those names, you're going to think, really? Him? Huh? How come they're in there? Do you not think I was, that's going to be for us? <laughs> in eternity, he opens the book, the scroll, and goes, oh, come on. I mean, you knew what happened. Well, they did. Come on. They can't be here. Yeah, yeah, they are. You might have guessed it. We're looking today At Judah. Okay, the fourth son of Jacob. Now, you would normally expect in kind of particularly in the Old Testament, I mean it's been certainly the case until very recently, where you know it's the first son that actually the line follows through. Okay, it's the first son. And So you would think, oh yeah, no, it's going to be Reuben who's going to be there. Reuben was the first son of Jacob. And then you think, well, okay, you know some of the story about what happened. And okay, maybe he wasn't such a great guy. And then you sort of go down the list a bit more. You've got Simeon and Levi. But then you're thinking, okay, well, obviously the most that's written seems to be in Genesis about Joseph. Must be Joseph's going to be the one. He must be the good guy that's actually going to carry on this royal line. But no, Joseph isn't even mentioned in Matthew. And then you go on a bit and you think, well, maybe it's the youngest one. Maybe it's Benjamin. Maybe he's going to come up. But no, we see it's this fourth son, Judah, born to Leah. This is the same Judah who sells his brother Joseph to the Midian people traffickers, okay? The same Judah who had sex with Tamar, as we heard last week, because, well, he thought that she was a temple prostitute. Whereas in fact, he's his son's widow. We see that this Judah has an amazing turnaround. Repentance. It shocks all concern. And God honors him and uses him to be the carrier of his promises made much earlier to Abraham, who was his great grandfather. It's a wonderful story that applies to us in three ways. Okay, I'm looking, gonna finish with three different things that we're looking at. It could be a story that's looking through three different eyes, through the eyes of Judah. Maybe you identify with Judah today and you kind of look at it and you're thinking, yeah, I'm the bad boy who's kind of repented or bad girl. Or maybe you've become... Maybe you're more like Joseph. Joseph, the one who was kind of really hard done to, sold off. And actually Joseph, who needs to do a bit of forgiving of his bad (laughs) elder brother. Or maybe, as we'll see, you're actually Benjamin. It gives us... First of all, it gives us new hope for ourselves. If I've really screwed up in my life and now feel totally disqualified that God will never use me again, this is a great story for you this morning. Learn about Judah because he gives us a lot of hope. Or maybe two it will give you new faith for other people, those that you actually you've written off, those that you think, no, no, God's never going to use them again. And actually, you've got a bit of a judgmental attitude about it. And actually, God wants to bring you up with a start. Just as he brought Joseph up with a start, actually, nobody's too far gone for God's redemptive plan in their life. Maybe God wants to melt your heart this morning for someone just as God melted Joseph's heart for his brother. Or maybe thirdly, it'll give you a new appreciation for Christ. What he did in stepping in to take our place to please his father. Judah, as we'll see in this story, which we're mainly looking, it's quite a long passage we'll look at in a moment, which is in Genesis 44. Judah offered himself to substitute himself for his younger half brother Benjamin in the same way that Jesus substitutes himself and did substitute himself for us. So first of all, I'm gonna look at the whole corroding power of jealousy. Jealousy, does that kind of affect you sometimes? Think about it. In your own life? There's a story about Jacob and his 12 sons. Judah we know less well. Jacob, this dad, was known as deceiver. So you've got a dad who's known as a deceiver. He duped his twin out of the inheritance and got a blessing from his father when he really shouldn't have done. (laughs) <laughs> this is the family line, by the way. If, if you're just wondering, you want to know about my family line, Matthew. Um, maybe Jacob in this story wants to marry Rachel. Okay, he sees Rachel, she's, she's good looking. And he works for many, many years to please his uncle Laban uh, to attain her. And on the final day, he marries this wonderful, beautiful bride, unveils her and realises it's the wrong one. He's been sw- it's been switched. He actually has ended up with the less good looking <laughs> Leah and he has to basically marry Leah anyway and then work some more in order to try and win Rachel. What well, well, that does... And it's important that that we kind of listen to this part of the story. What that does is it actually, for Jacob, he actually ends up where he, it's kind of like Rachel, he loves, but Rachel has difficulty having children. And so he has four sons to Leah, but he's always kind of, his kind of affection for Rachel is also kind of mirrored in his affection for eventually the two children that are produced through Rachel, Joseph, and then later Benjamin. And there's a, it's not hidden. It's this, this, this kind of love, this kind of special affection that dad has Oh yeah, it's you, you know, Sonny that can do no wrong, Joseph. And when it does, it creates, not just in Judah, but in the other brothers as well, a bitterness. And they really get stirred up about it. Judah suffers in two ways. First, he's not the eldest son, so he doesn't get all the kind of everything that comes from from dad. As I've said before, that's that's how it worked. All the property that he would have inherited. So he doesn't get that. And he doesn't get this kind of special affection that actually dad seems to have. It just seems like it's always, always Joseph who dad seems to, every time Joseph does something, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And When I do it, you hardly even pay any notice about it. Let me ask you this question this morning. How has family favoritism affected you? We're all part of a family, even if we're the only child. Whereabouts were you born in your family? Let's have our hands up. Who's the first child? Let's see them. Oh, quite a few. Okay. Who's number two? Number three? Number four? That's me. Are we getting, look at that, quite a lot. Put your, four, put your, look at that, not many then. Okay, put your hands down. Five? Any? Gosh, small families. Six? Anything else? We've got a six? Oh yeah, there, good, okay. Any more? Seven? No. Okay. Who's the youngest child? Yeah. Did you get favoured? Are you mummy's little favourite? <laughs> you know how that feels, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, just a quick word to parents here. Just you know, Anne and I've had six kids. It, it's hard. It's hard to think. I really don't want to show favoritism. I really want to love the one who's a pain in the same way <laughs> as the one who just seems to do everything. Everything we just say, you just uh, there were some of them I just had to look, and they knew exactly what I wanted, and it was like, yeah, no, I'll just do that, Dad. It's fine. And others like, no way, no way. <laughs> make me, make me. Go on, do it. Yeah. And you, you. Uh, Lord, give me love give me give me you know, help me not to show favoritism here it's it, there are some hard things in it, and yet, I want to say there's a story where Judah's kind of bitterness about this really got a hold of him, and it was a hard thing, and I just want to say to parents, just think about it and think, how can I do that how can i how can I help this child who who I find more difficult. How do I do do that? And we just need real help, particularly talking to one another as parents, actually saying, do you think, and and speaking clearly to one another. I think you actually, you always seem to favour that one. My kids would tell you exactly who I favoured. So, I mean, you know, they would know, some of you would know, Um, you knew me then, you know, um, when we had the kids at home. You know, and, and there were ones that would, would have favoured more. It's just, it is there, but it actually can cause problems. That's what I'm trying to say. We just need, Lord, help us to be fair about it. Okay, so on that crucial day, which we read about in Genesis 37, Joseph is sent to find his brothers by his father, but he's a bit of a dreamer and he seems not only to be favoured by his dad, but he starts having these revelations from God that his brothers and even his father um, will in future bow down to him like the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. And he voices it. That's the thing that he does. Verse, 30, uh, verse four of 37. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Strong word. They hated him and could not speak peace, peacefully to him the brothers are so incensed that they decide to kill him however and this is where judah comes in um, he says this to them he says well what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood come let us sell him to the Ishmaelite and let us not our hand let not our hand be upon him meaning it won't look like we've done anything wrong. Uh, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. It seems that even though he was number four in in the brothers, that actually, they even at this point, they were listening to what Judah had to say. He had some authority with them. And so they decided, yes, okay, that's not a bad idea to sell him to these... Uh, these people traffickers that are sort of coming on by, on their way, along with a lot of other stuff, but going to Egypt, let's just sell him up. Um, and uh, so what they do is they, uh, you know the story well, uh, they get uh, his jo- Joseph's coat uh, and they cover it in animal blood and then they take it along to their dad and they say, huh, there we are. <coughs> like, make your own mind up. You see, I mean, it's just, that's what we found. Um, duping, trying to dupe him, okay? This duping, this thing of trying, you know, this duping is in the family, isn't it? Yeah? Think about it. Their dad, he duped his twin. <laughs> Judah's granny, was also in, involved in this duping, okay, to, to, to try and, because she was wanting to prefer her son, Jacob. There's a lot of duping that's going on here. And here we are, this duping, they're trying to dupe their dad now. But I tell you, you can do these things, but it lives with you. You're like, oh, I feel so absolute. What a terrible, rotten person I was. So although they get away with it, and dad never really finds out, right until the end of the story when they come clean about it. So for years and years and years, dad is grieving the fact that his lovely son has been eaten by animals when in fact he's alive and well and prospering in Egypt, but he's been a slave and everything else. But they live with it. They're like, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no, it's terribly sorry what's happened to him, dad. You know, they live through this thing years in the household. Can you imagine what that's like? Bitterness is a very powerful emotion. It corrupts our hearts like nothing else. The writer to the Hebrews says this, 12:16: "See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled." I wonder whether he was thinking about Judah. This kind of this bitterness that actually I mean, didn't it spring up? Man, it really sprung up and it affected the whole family. Judah has allowed his father's affections for Joseph to boil up inside him in such a way that he's willing to stage his own death. He lived with this crippling guilt. The only way out of this is by admitting our responsibility. We have to admit it. We have to say, I was wrong. And there's a point, as we'll see in this story in a minute, where Judah comes to that point where he admits it. And he's been living with it all these years. And finally, it hits him. Finally, he's like, I've got to I've got to come clean about it. Bitterness, like unforgiveness, enslaves us. Judah was more in chains than his brother Joseph would ever be, enchained by his own bitterness and unforgiveness. Let's look at these um, kind of things about bitterness a moment. Um, From uh, Harry Emerson Forsdyke. Bitterness imprisons life. Love releases it. Bitterness paralyzes life. Love empowers it. Bitterness sours life. Love sweetens it. Bitterness sickens life. Love heals it. Bitterness blinds life. Love anoints its eyes. Lee Strobel. Acrid bitterness inevitably seeps into the lives of people who harbour grudges and suppress anger. Bitterness is always a poison. It keeps your pain alive instead of letting you deal with it and getting beyond it. Bitterness sentences you to relive the hurt over and over and over. How true that is. John Ortberg, bitterness, I love this, is my favorite bit. Bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. That's exactly what bitterness is like. We're wishing that other person harm, and yet actually we've drunken the rat poison ourselves, and it's affecting us in a horrible way. Okay, fast forward. Joseph has been in prison uh, in Egypt for years, but then he's released and he founds favour in, as Pharaoh's chief administrator. Uh, he has this plan of storing up grain for the famine that's to come, which does come, and then re-enter Jacob's sons, who have come because of the famine to Egypt to find grain. And in they come. And Joseph suddenly realises, first of all, that they don't recognise him and also he recognises them and here we have almost this kind of Shakespearean moment where they come and they are seeking grain and uh, they he, he says to them he starts to use their ignorance he kind of plays some tricks on them He sends them home to their father, first of all, with the promise to return with Benjamin, the youngest son, and his remember his true brother. And as surety, he says, well, I want Simeon to stay here. He also secretes some silver in their bags. And uh, later on, they return with Benjamin. But Judas had to promise his father that if Benjamin doesn't return, He says this, I will be a pledge of his safety, dad. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Those are strong promises that Judah is promising his father. See, here it's Judah who's promising it. It's not the other brothers. It seems that suddenly Judah's come to the fore here. Suddenly it's all about Judah's the one who's kind of leading this thing and is promising his dad. And now we're going to read uh, this passage in 44. So they turn up, first of all, they turn up in Egypt. Benjamin uh, has been asked for. And after gathering their grain and Simeon being released, they're sent back to their father, Jacob. But Joseph instructs his steward to put silver in every brother's bag along with plenty of grain. But in Benjamin's, he also secretes his own special drinking cup, which is used for divination. It's probably a very costly and unique cup. And so after that, the steward is sent after so off they go, thinking, "Oh yeah, we're going back home. It's fine. We've got Benjamin with us. Everything's cool. You know, Simeon's with us. We're we're on our way. It's going to be great." And what happens is suddenly they realise they, there's been a trick being played on them. Joseph is not beyond doing some trickery himself, and he has placed his cup in hidden amongst the kind of luggage of Benjamin. And then we get this comment. <clears throat> why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this a cup? Let me hold up a cup. <clears throat> Isn't this the cup my master brings, drinks from, and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you've done. And they said to him, well, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the silver we found inside the mouth of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? Even if any any of your servants is found to have it, he will die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it, will become my slave. The rest of you will be set, will be free from blame. And each of them quickly lowered the sacks to the ground and opened it. And then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And at this, they tore their clothes. And then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? Well, what can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How how can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. I wonder what he's thinking about there. He's, He's been guilty all this time. Suddenly he's thinking, God's finally, he's pulled a rug under me we are now my Lord's slaves we ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup but Joseph said far be it from me to do such a thing only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave the rest of you can go back to your fathers in peace and then Judah went up to him and said pardon your servant my Lord let me speak a word to my Lord don't be angry with your servant though you are equal to Pharaoh himself My Lord asked his servants, do you have a a father or, or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father. And there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. And he's the only one of his mother's sons left. And his father loves him. And then you said to your servants, excuse me, bring him down to me also so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy can't leave his father. If he leaves him, the father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. And when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. And then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. And we said, we can't go down. Only if your, our youngest brother is with us will we go. We can't see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore, bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces. and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and a harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, says Judah, when I go back to, Your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray hair of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed, meaning he himself, the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, says Judah, please take your servant, Remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. And at this point, Joseph is so overcome that he does the big reveal. He is so affected by what Judah has just said that he then reveals who he really is. I'm actually Joseph that you sold into slavery all those years ago. I'm your brother. That's what he re- reveals. We see this complete reversal in what has happened to Joseph. Previously, Judah's heart was so filled with bitterness, he engineers the grief of his father and now he's offering to place himself instead of the younger brother. Something has really happened. There is a major change. We kind of see this story over and over again in the Bible, really. I mean, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son where the younger one goes off, the older one stays at home and works. The younger one repents and comes back And then the older one is like, "Nah, I, I, I'm no, I'm not happy. No, no, I'm not. (laughs) I've been working all these years, and now you're asking me to be happy, Dad. You know, he's just gonna spend all the money. There's a kind of there's a bitterness that grows up in that he's bitter towards his brother." We see this and it's brought out to us lots and lots of times. But the amazing thing here is that Judah at this point substitutes himself. He says, you know what? I was wrong. And I'm going to put myself in place of him. Take me, slave me, kill me, whatever. It's an amazing action. What can we do? What can we learn about this? Well, first of all, I want to say that no matter what's happened in your life, no matter how much stuff you've done, doesn't this give you hope that actually God can change it all around? We get to the point where we've done stuff, you know what it does to us? It cauterizes our consciences. We lose a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit we lose connection with friends and family. That's what it does to us. And we see this family line where we've seen it happen. Jacob tricking his father. His <laughs> the mother tricking as well. Laban tricking. There's a lot of tricking that's going on. And yet it is possible for Judah to break free. It is possible to actually say, I've done this stuff. Actually... I have complete repenting now. And God takes us and He says, Okay, I forgive you. No matter what's happened in your life, we need to take hope from this that you know what? God can use me. It it's not just a, Oh, I forgive you, but I'm never going to use you again. Okay? So there's that kind of level. We can actually come to that place where we're like, yeah, yeah, no, okay, he forgives me and he loves me, and I know that. But in terms of future ministry, forget it. No, no. What we see in Judah's life is that God really uses him in an amazing way. There's real hope, real hope in the story. I want to say it gives me hope as a parent, if you've got parents of, of kids that go away and get into stuff. It also speaks to us to actually say, "You know what? Don't, don't just think, "Oh well, that's it. It's never going to come around again." Now here's: this. You would never have thought that Judah, it would have come round again. You would have never thought that. This was years and years and years and years. And yet it comes around again. And he has an opportunity and he chooses differently. It's almost the same thing. So beforehand, it was the same thing. He could have, Judah could have put himself in the place, but he didn't earlier on. What he did is he covered it up and he hid it. And he pretended to his dad. And now he's doing the opposite. Now it's almost the same scenario and I want to say to you, sometimes God does exactly the same scenario. He brings you back round again. Well, what are you going to do now? <laughs> Here it is again. Oh, my goodness. Here it is again. I'm giving it to you again. Well, what are you going to do this time? Are you going to hide it? <laughs> Pretend? Put on a face that actually this is who this is my nice, good, righteous, holy face? <laughs> Or am I gonna get down on my knees as he as Judah did? Got down on his knees, on his face. It's like God has found me out. God has finally I know what this is. This is a God setup. This is a God setup. He's suddenly revealed. He's revealed it. I've been revealed for what? The scam that I really am. The great news, the great news of the gospel, this is the great news of the gospel, is that no matter what, if we repent, and we take responsibility, God wipes it clean, and goes, Sorry, I, I don't. I don't even remember that. I don't even remember that about you now. I don't. I, so, sorry. I, I. Sorry. No. I can't even remember that. It's gone. That's the great news of the gospel. It gives us faith for uh, others. Maybe you put yourself and you're Joseph in this story. You've experienced the bullying and vindictiveness of brothers or others. Like Joseph, you've waited for this day. You've waited for this day. You have been waiting. There is going to be a day where I'm going to get my own back. <laughs> I have. Jolly well. And this was the day. Hey. I have finally, I've got the power. I'm the one in the position. I can make their life hell. I've got the upper hand. But it teaches us about, oh my goodness. God can change your heart. Even old Judah, the instigator of this whole thing, actually, he can change hearts. He can change hard-hearted. Judah just seems so hard-hearted, and yet God can turn it around, and it helps us to see, Lord, help me to show the kind of grace that you show. And Joseph showed grace. He showed grace. Help us to show grace. Yeah? Help us to have an attitude which isn't kind of super silly. It's just it's kind of like a, a, a self-righteous kind of, you know, man, I just got a hard done to deal. At least I didn't do any bad things like my brother. <laughs> you know? Actually, God wants to say, no, 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 don't. Just watch yourself. Watch yourself. Because I can change any heart. Nobody's beyond my reach. Anybody who repents can have forgiveness now. He forgave and peace came. And he was reunited with his father as well. Remember that happened for Joseph. This was actually, he had to come through these things. He was then finally reunited with his father, which was amazing. God wants to reunite us with our father. And finally, there's the whole part of Christ in this. Christ in this story, like Judah, Christ subjected himself to slavery, the powers of the government at the time, okay, the Roman government at the time, even to death on the cross. And he substituted himself. He who had no sin substituted himself for us who had sin. He said, no, no, I'm going to go in their place. I am going to go to the cross even though there is no sin whatsoever on me. I am going Put me, dad, in that place. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he say, "He's this is real stuff. This isn't just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is real. If there's any way, Father, that you can take this cup from me, please do it right now. <laughs> it's like, if there's any way I don't have to substitute myself, <laughs> if there's any other way that I can actually do it, get away with this, then please and there is silence and his father turns. No, no, you're going to have to give your life. This isn't just, I'm going to come to this point. For Judah, he didn't, he didn't become a slave. <laughs> yeah? For Christ, he did. He was, he was treated as a slave and spat at and crucified along with all the other. And why was it? It was because he gave himself because his father loves the younger son. His father loves the younger son. And who is the younger son? We are the younger son. We're Benjamin in this story. Jesus is placing himself because of the love For God so loved that he gave his son. It's because of his love for the younger son that Christ gave himself as a substitute for us. It's an amazing story, isn't it? And it's not quite finished. We see that Judas' name, as I said right at the beginning, is on this honours list that we see of the ancestors of Christ. Judas' son, Perez, that was born to Tamar is the one that carries the family line through, the royal line. God truly reinstated him and said, no, no, you're going to get woven back into this whole royal line of actually where my son is going to be born into. And we're gonna read this uh, in Genesis 49. And this is a time where Jacob is kind of right in his last days and he's blessing his 12 sons. And he says this to Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He's saying this line is actually gonna, this royal line is gonna travel through Judah. Judah becomes, when the tribes are all allocated out, the 12 tribes. And we see, we see that in the allocation of land uh, with, um, with Moses and then, and then through, we see that actually the land is divided and Judah has the biggest part. And then later on we see that it's Judah where Bethlehem is and that Jesus comes from Bethlehem, from, from this land that is Judah's land. Judah is an amazing example. Peter in the New Testament is an amazing example of somebody who you would think, no, that's him written off. No, no, he's reinstated. Not just forgiven, but brought back into, into purpose. Paul is killing Christians. God uses him and reinstates him as the one who writes most of the New Testament. There's an amazing thing of actually God doing, taking those that have actually really screwed up and saying, you know what, if you repent, if you take, if you take um, responsibility for your sin, I can use you again and forgive you and use you back in my purposes. That's what we want, isn't it? That's good news, isn't it?